Yes, I know. That's very happy music for what we just watched happen to the Ohio State Buckeyes in the national championship game. But that's the podcast open. Most days it suffices. Happy mood, but it's hard to be happy here on the uh, wee hours of Tuesday morning after Ohio State loses to Alabama 52-24. to Wow. Excuse me for the cough. Okay. We'll get to the Buckeyes, we'll get to the Browns, and a short faith portion at the end. I'm recording this now because I was always like this as a sports writer. I got keyed up watching a game, covering a game, couldn't sleep after. So rather than do this tomorrow morning, I just thought I'd do it right now while the thoughts are fresh in my head, while your frustration may be fresh. You can send me a message on Facebook, or I'm not sure if I see messages on Periscope or not. Somebody out there who knows about Periscope, I know this is airing on Periscope via Twitter, uh, and I know it's going away. I know Periscope's going away. So those of you who are inclined to help with the technical aspect of the podcast, which if you listen to the podcast very long, you know from the Spielman days that I'm not a technical engineer. If you know about what other format I ought to go to instead of Periscope with that going away or how I can watch if you're doing, uh, if you're commenting during the podcast, because I'd love to interact with you. I was watching a uh Live stream yesterday on Periscope from Cheryl Atkinson, the uh, Emmy Award-winning reporter who wrote the book Slanted and who has uh, who hosts Full Measure News, and she's got people calling in and talking to her, and and it's I don't know how she's doing it. Uh, I know Cheryl a little bit, maybe I should ask her. But if you know, email me SpielmanHooleyPodcast at gmail.com. SpielmanHooleyPodcast at gmail.com. And yes, I've promised to get a new email. <laughs> I'll do it someday. All right. Let's do the Buckeyes first, then let's get the bad out of the way, then we'll do the Browns, and then we'll do a little faith portion, then I'll go to bed and hopefully be able to sleep. All right. Okay, Bama's a great team. Bama's recruiting class in 2017 was just absolutely sick, and we laud, with good reason, Ohio State's great recruiting classes over the years, and there have been many. Uh, but as I was reading about Alabama's recruiting class from 2017 today, I thought, um, you know, holy smokes, this class is crazy. Because the Heisman Trophy winner Devonta Smith was in it. The uh, first-round picks Jerry Judy and Henry Ruggs were in it. Uh, Mac Jones was in it, and Tua Tungvaloa was in it, and Alex Leatherwood was in it. Uh, an Outland Trophy winner. <clears throat> and uh, Jonah Williams, I believe, was in it, uh, who was a first-round pick of the Bengals a couple years ago. And Jedrick Wills was in it, who was a first-round pick of the Browns last year. They, you have three first-round tackles in one recruiting class? You get two national championship quarterbacks in one recruiting class? Man, it's just nuts. Three first-round wide receivers in one recruiting class? Oh, by the way, Nanji Harris. So I was... Uh, and there are other guys, too. I mean, there's defensive players, first-rounders. It's crazy sick talent in that recruiting class. Okay, so we got beat by a great team. Got beat by a great team. Got beat by the greatest coach in college football history. It's, to me, indisputable. Got beat by the greatest coach in college football history. Nick Saban has won seven national championships in the BCS era and in the college football playoff era. Think of that. Bear Bryant won six. I don't know how many Woody won. He won a legit one in 54. 
a legit one in 68. One more in there was legit. A couple were a little fishy, like 1970. They give him credit for it. You don't win the national title when you lose a Rose Bowl to Stanford. My point is, when you play in the pole era, when you're Bear Bryant, you may get a great opponent in the Sugar Bowl. You may get Notre Dame, and Notre Dame may be the second-best team out there, but most likely not. Texas back then was great. Texas and Arkansas were great. They were in the Southwest Conference. They were going to the Cotton Bowl every year. If Alabama was number one and Texas was number two, Alabama and Texas did not play for the national title. If Ohio State was number one and Bama was number two, they did not play for the national title. Ohio State went to the Rose Bowl. Pac-12 went to the Rose Bowl. You guys might not remember this. Big 8, which is now the Big 12, always went to the Orange Bowl. So once in a great while, you'd get the two best teams playing, but not really until 1987 when the Fiesta Bowl put Miami and and Penn State together, two you know, independence, did you get what we get now every year? And that's why I say Saban is number one, because Nick Saban not only has won his national titles in the BCS era where you were going to get, you were going to get a great team. I know we can fudge about Nebraska getting in one year and this team getting in one year, whatever, but you were going to get a team that could make a case that it was the second best team in the championship game. Or if you were the number two team, you got the number one team. And then you throw in the SEC is the first conference to have a conference championship game. The first one. So as long as Nick Saban's been in the SEC at LSU, at Alabama, he's had to win a conference championship game. Now, I suppose there's probably been maybe a time in there where he didn't win the conference and got in the playoff. But by and large, that's how you get in the playoff out of the SEC. And then you got to play the... Now you're in the playoff era where you got to win two playoff games. He's won seven titles, and that's just, to me, that's unapproachable. And Urban is the second. Urban is second to him, and I think Urban would have the capacity to win seven titles, too, if Urban had been able to been to have been blessed with as good a health as Saban has been blessed with. Saban's 69. Some people say he looks 69. I don't think he looks 69. Guy looks like he coached for 10 more years. I got a sneaking suspicion he might retire. <clears throat> it's just a gut feeling. I don't know anything. I don't have a source. He looked awful happy tonight. Now, I know he loves a team and all that stuff, but that looked like the smile of a guy who's like, I'm walking out on top, baby. Maybe I'm wrong. We'll see. Okay. How did Ohio State lose the game? Aside from the fact that Bama's just great. Justin Fields clearly wasn't healthy. He wasn't. He just, you could tell. He might have been fine starting. He got hit once, and it was like, ouch, right? There were times Justin ran, and he didn't run with quite the same energy. He'd run, he'd get into the open field, and he'd be looking for like, uh-oh, okay, where's where's the hit coming from? So that's a factor. It's not a four-touchdown factor. It's a factor. Tommy Togiai, yes, they missed Tommy Togiai. Could they have used Tyreek Smith? Sure. Use anybody they can get on defense because they needed help. It wouldn't have made a difference. Nobody would have made a difference tonight. They're in the game, and then they got blistered by the same way they blistered Clemson. Which, by the way, now would be a good time for me to say, I don't want the playoff to expand. We'd get a great game between four and five. We might get a great game between three and six, although I doubt it. Look what Ohio State did to Clemson. Clemson was two, Ohio State was three. You think six is going to give Ohio State a game? I don't. Do you want to see Bama play eight? I think we'd get just a bunch of routes. And the potential for guys to get hurt. Look how guys were dropping in that game tonight. Mac Jones, 
Oh, I'm sick to my stomach about Wyatt Davis getting hurt. I am sick to my stomach. Wyatt Davis is such a wonderful kid. He's a young man. He's not a kid. He's a kid to me because I'm old. Wyatt Davis is just, he's tremendous. But I'm not talking about player consensus All-American. Of course he's a great player. I think that... I think that was a gut punch to Ohio State's emotion, watching a big, strong bear of a man like Wyatt Davis go out limping. All those guys know how much money Wyatt Davis uh, is going to make in the NFL, and that was hard to watch. That was hard to watch that. You want those guys getting hurt in a semifinal? You want the, you know, a quarterfinal? You want Mac Jones to get banged up, beaten, beaten I don't know who's eight, somebody by... 70 points? Because Bama could have scored 70 tonight if they wanted to on Ohio State. I know Ohio State's defense is not that good, but you think it's not as good as the eighth seed? So, no, I don't want to see the playoff expand. No, no, and no. Boy, Devontae Smith is good. Man, is that guy good. Think of that kid's career. Catches the game-winning touchdown pass in the national championship game in 2017 from Tua Tungvaloa on second and 26 to beat Georgia and goes out with college football playoff championship game records, 12 catches for 215 yards in the first half. In the first half. If they'd have needed to score, because Ohio State was for a while was hanging with them, if they would have needed to score, how many catches and yards would have Devonta Smith put up tonight? Wow. And I, I said this to a friend of mine today, Stevie, can vouch. Stevie's maybe watching the podcast, maybe listening. He said, what makes you nervous about this game from the Ohio State perspective? And I said, I'll tell you this. I have never seen a great player like Najee Harris talked about less before a game of this magnitude than he has been. Nobody was talking about number 22 from Alabama, and he is a living nightmare, that kid. Wow, is he a man. And wow, was he good as a receiver, as a runner. He, you know what the most spectacular play of that game might have been? Najee Harris in the first, like, quarter when the game was a game. He had he turned a four-yard loss into an eight-yard gain on a play. And I was like, holy smokes. That made Najee Harris some money in the NFL. He's a great player. They got great players everywhere. They're just loaded. And kudos to them. I mean, they played... What did he play, 12 games, 13 games? The only silver lining in this tonight, it's not much, but i got to look for something. <clears throat> had Ohio State won this game, well, it would have been phenomenal. I mean, you cap a year where you weren't going to play with a national title, you beat Clemson, you beat Bama, it would have been phenomenal. And there would have been only one downside to that, and it would have been that it would have cemented Kevin Warren as the Big Ten commissioner forever, and it would have given him license to take a victory lap as, oh, you see, you see, we got everything right on covid Instead, Kevin Warren bears some of the blame for what happened tonight. He does. He does. Because while I believe strongly it was an advantage for Ohio State to have played only six games before it played Clemson, it was a gigantic disadvantage to have played only seven games before it played Alabama. Ohio State was not as good as it could have been if it would have had 12 or 13 games this season. Bama was just playing on another level. And some of that is being honed, iron sharpens iron, being honed to a fine edge by the competition that it played. And Ohio State didn't get that kind of competition. I know, they're in the Big Ten, I get it. But even playing more times would have helped Ohio State. So that's on you, Kevin Warren. 
in your stupid late October start to the season because you were trying to throw the election or whatever you were trying to do was dumb. You robbed these kids. You robbed Ryan Day of a chance to coach Justin Fields another half a season. I'm sad to see Justin go. He's headed to the NFL. He should head to the NFL. Olave should go. Wyatt Davis will go. Sean Wade will go. They're going to lose a ton of guys. Um, I mean, honestly, Sean Wade didn't have a very good year this year. He didn't. Sean Wade is a slot corner. He's not a boundary corner. He's not a he's not a, a wide corner. He's a slot corner. He had some moments this year. He wasn't the best corner in the Big Ten. He got that accolade off coming back and telling a great story about coming back, and he just and he got exposed tonight. And honestly, you know what? It wasn't fun to listen to, but Herbie was dead on the money on that touchdown pass. Who was that kid? I don't even know that kid who scored Bama's. I think it was their last touchdown, maybe their second to last touchdown. Slade somebody. Slade Blade Runner or Slade, I don't know. Slady McSlade. <laughs> Sean Wade was loafing on that play. Aggravating. Aggravating. Um, okay. <clears throat> Ryan Day. Ryan Day is a tremendous football coach. If he stays at Ohio State, he will win a title. But it might be a while. Because you've got to recalibrate everything. Next year will be a... They'll be good. They'll be really good. They'll probably be the class of the Big Ten. I just can't see that they're going to be the national champion. If I had to bet on a national champion next year, I'd probably bet on Clemson because they were just a little bit too young this year. Next year they get DJ Uyunglele playing at quarterback, and they'll have they got a great running back, not ETN, but they got a great running back coming back. They'll probably lose Jackson Carmen, but they'll have four starters coming back on the offensive line. They're going to be loaded on the defensive line. I know you don't want to hear about Clemson. I'm just saying, I think Ohio State next year, probably it's not in the cards to win a national title next year. First-year quarterback and all that. So, you know, Ryan's – I think Ryan really wants to win a title, but I think tonight it's, it's a tough night to be Ryan Day because this was the team you could win it with. Now – this was the last night, I think, that uh, Urban Meyer's influence on the program uh, is a major factor. Uh, I mean, his influence will always be a factor because he's established Ohio State. He took the brand to another level, to a stratospheric level, and Ryan has built on that. I don't know if Urban's going to take the Jacksonville Jaguars job. I don't know if Urban's going to take Mickey Marotti, Mark Pantoni, Brian Voltolini, and anybody else whose name ends in Eni. I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. Uh, he'd probably he'd definitely take Corey Dennis, his son-in-law, with him if he went there. Maybe Heartline, uh, because Brian is extremely underpaid at Ohio State, even though he got a big raise last year. Maybe Kerry Combs would go with him. Kerry Combs is coached in the NFL, and Kerry Combs loves Urban. And uh, but I mean, he came back to coach for for Ryan, so it's not like he doesn't like Ryan. Kerry Combs will take some heat off tonight's game. I get it. He's getting paid a lot of money to be defensive coordinator, and and he'll take criticism. And they got beat by a great great offense, which let me say a little bit right now about Steve Sarkeesian. This is kind of the buried storyline on this game tonight. Sarkeesian's going to Texas. I hope Steve Sarkeesian has his personal problems ironed out. I hope he's beat as much as anyone can beat. I know it's always a threat and all that. you got to stay on top of it. Alcoholism. 
Wish Sark nothing but the best. Sark was USC's offensive coordinator in 2008. Yeah, 2008, I think. When Ohio State went out to the Coliseum and got just drilled. It's the night that Jim Tressel made the switch from Todd Beckman to Terrell Pryor, which was a mistake, by the way, at that time. Todd was a senior. He was popular. It crushed the seniors on the team. Terrell was not ready to lead. I'm not sure that he ever was ready to lead. But that was the wrong move at that time. Anyway, Steve Sarkeesian was USC's offensive coordinator, and I had the good fortune to be connected to Sark through a mutual friend at the time before the game where where he assured Sarkeesian that I was trustworthy. And he told me, we can score as many points as we want to score on this defense. Well, I mean, I'm, I cover Ohio State. I'm like, okay, Mr. Big Man. And they could have. I mean, they – and that was the one uneasy feeling I had going into this game was Steve Sarkeesian's a really good play caller and a really good play scripter. And you saw it play out. When you can get Devontae Smith on tough Borland, you've got the matchup you want. That's not Tough's fault. He's never going to be able to run with him. And that looked bad. And at the juncture of the game, it kind of blew it open. Late first half, it's it's a game. And Alabama, Ohio State's going down. They got the ball. And I thought, we better score here because Bama, if Bama gets the ball back and scores and then comes out for the second half and scores, it's going to be 35 to 17. Well, they got 35. They got 35 by halftime. I was like, man. And then they took eight and a half minutes off or seven and a half minutes off the clock to start the third quarter. They only got three points, but they ate up a quarter of the time that was left. And Ohio State got within 14, and I thought, all right, they got to get a stop. And they didn't. They didn't. That was it. It was over. 21 points. It's over. Okay. So great year. I hate to see Justin go without winning a title. I know Ryan's probably crushed. He ought to be proud. I know he's proud of his team. And they got good players coming back. Paris Johnson's going to be a beast. Dewan Johnson's going to be a beast. Uh, Josh Myers is probably gone to the NFL. They'll still be really good next year on the offensive line. Don't know who the quarterback's going to be. C.J. Stroud, Jack Miller, don't know. Um, Olave's gone. Garrett Wilson will have one more year. They got a ton of wide receivers. They'll be fine. They'll throw. They'll throw it a lot. They'll run it okay. They don't have a J.K. Dobbins type back yet. Well, no, I take it back. They got two freshmen coming in that are crazy good. Travion Henderson probably going to be their starting back next year. So they're going to be really good. But I just can't see him winning at all. It's just too hard to do that. Okay, Browns. <clears throat> I had this vibe last night after the Browns scored an NFL record 24 points in the first quarter. Thank you, Marquise Pouncey, for your errant snap on the first play. <coughs> I thought last night I was sitting there watching that, and I thought, holy cow, the state of Ohio football teams have figured out COVID. The Browns don't even need to practice. They don't need their head coach. They don't need their all-pro guard, Joel Batonio, and they kick the Steelers all over the place. And tomorrow night, the Buckeyes are going to show that, ah, COVID, who cares? Well, that was my storyline. It fell flat tonight. But how about those Brownies? I said all week, and people said, you're crazy. The Browns should win that game. They should win that game. The Steelers have been a Jenga pile waiting to fall for like a month. And Baker Mayfield and Jarvis Landry and Nick Chubb, Taki Taki, and 
uh, guys in the secondary, we're all just pulling out pieces of the Jenga puzzle that brought the Steelers down like an avalanche. So the Brownies move on. And here's a lesson that the Browns, I was texting with a friend tonight during the game who works for a major organization. He's a columnist. And um, through through our text communication, the idea of pairing the Ohio State game with the Browns game, what can we draw from these two games? I choose to look at it rather from this Ohio State game to this game the Browns have coming up against the Chiefs. What can we learn from that? Here's what the Browns can learn, because the Chiefs are super explosive, right, with Patrick Mahomes and Tyreek Hill and Clyde Edwards-Hilaire and Travis Kelsey. They're really explosive, and Andy Reid's a great play caller, and they're the defending Super Bowl champs, and they're home, and oh my God, it's an insurmountable task, right? Well, you can't go into it, and this is what I think they can learn from Ohio State tonight. You cannot go into it playing rope-a-dope. You know, remember Ali and the rope-a-dope hung on the ropes and let George Foreman, like, punch, 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 punch. And Foreman punched himself out, and Ali ended up winning the the, uh, championship fight in Zaire, Kinshasa Zaire. Ali, Bumaye, Ali, Bumaye, which was... Zairean for Ali kill him. I'm just giving you all my random knowledge in my head that's eating up space where I should have the knowledge for doing CPR or something useful. At any rate, <clears throat> you can't rope a dope the Kansas City Chiefs, Cleveland Browns. The Ohio State Buckeyes tonight tried to rope a dope Alabama. Well, we'll make them. We'll make them go eight plays. Okay, Bama said. Okay, instead of scoring. Getting 20 yards of play? We'll take 10 of play. We'll flip it out there, take 10. We'll settle for second and two. We'll score anyway. And they did. If you're going to go down, go down swinging. And the Browns can't patty cake Patrick Mahomes. They can't rope a dope Patrick Mahomes. They can't try to play soft, keep everything in front. Because you think Devontae Smith's elusive. Way to get a load of Tyreek Hill. You got to shoot your shot and hope it connects. You got to be aggressive on offense, but that doesn't mean you don't run the ball a lot. Run the ball a lot. Keep it away from Patrick Mahomes. If you're getting Batonio back and you got Wyatt Teller, you got the best uh, right side. I mean, by definition, don't they have the best right side of an offensive line in the NFL? If you got an all pro in Jack Conklin and an all pro in Wyatt Teller. I don't know if Teller made All-Pro, but he's number one at his position according to Pro Football Focus. Batonio made All-Pro. Run the ball! Run the ball, chew the clock. I was so impressed with Nick Chubb and Kareem Hunt against Pittsburgh. Kareem Hunt had a touchdown. I think it was his first touchdown. Where he was stopped dead to rights on the three-yard line and stood up. And he just powered in on a host of Steelers. That kind of hard running, that can win you a game against the Kansas City Chiefs. Think Kareem Hunt's not going to be motivated to play against his former team? Yeah. So I think the Browns got a real shot at the Chiefs. The Browns look to me like a team that's rounding into shape at the right time. And Kevin Stefanski has done a phenomenal job coaching this team. They, they are a team with the potential for a lot of drama queens. And Stefanski keeps it 
Here's my phrase for the Cleveland Browns. Productively boring. Kevin Stefanski has made the Cleveland Browns productively boring. He has. And it's been easier to do that with Odell Beckham Jr. sidelined. Yes, I know. He's a wondrous talent and blah, 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 blah. They don't need him. In my opinion, he's juice not worth the squeeze. OBJ, not worth the squeeze. If you can trade him and get a two, trade him and get a two. Because I just don't think he's worth the squeeze. Okay, so what am I leaving out? Oh, I wanted to show you my uh, my poster. I should have done this when uh, I should have done this when I was talking about national championships and how it's harder now. Uh, this is coming out on Streamyard, I think. Here's my here's my Bear Bryant Woody Hayes poster. I bought this at a flea market like years ago, and I kept it and kept it and kept it. It's probably under a bed somewhere. And a couple years ago, I framed it and I thought, hey, if Ohio State and Alabama ever play, I'll have to get that out. And then I totally forgot it when they played in uh, the 2014 seasons playoff in the uh, Sugar Bowl 2015. And uh, then today I saw it, and I thought, well, you don't know when they're going to play again. You better get that out. So I did. So that's uh, that's a cool thing. Ah, we have a Facebook comment. Let's hope it's a nice Facebook comment, not somebody being snarky and and nasty. Uh, ah, it's Rod. He says, in my opinion, Tyreek Hill is only second to Mahomes as the most dangerous player on the field. Can't let him beat you. They're very dangerous as a combination, Rod. You are not wrong. Thank you for your comment. Thank you for watching late at night. Maybe you work second shift. I don't know, but I'm glad to have you with me. Um. <clears throat> So we've talked about the Bengals, uh, the Browns, rather. We've talked about the Buckeyes. And uh, so as I do on the We Tackle Life podcast, uh, maybe I have some new viewers tonight because I usually don't do these right after a game like Ohio State. But the We Tackle Life podcast was started in August of 2019 with my friend Chris Spielman. It was Spiel's idea to start the podcast. Um, and we wanted to talk about sports and the things we have been able to talk about over the years, laugh about over the years, garner an audience over the years. But when we did it, we said we also want to have make use of the freedom to do something that we really couldn't do on the radio a lot, and that's share deeply, transparently about our faith. So at the end of every podcast, and some of you are going, I know this, why are you repeating this? Because I'm thinking we got some new people tonight. Uh, at the end of every podcast, we do a faith portion of the podcast. Now, this won't be too detailed because I just did one Sunday, and uh, life's been a little busy since then. <clears throat> but I wanted to share with you uh, kind of a call to action for 2020. And I was listening to a pastor today who I respect very deeply, very greatly, John MacArthur of Grace Community Church in California. And MacArthur was asked a question about what is the hardest thing for him to deal with as a pastor. And he said two things. Number one, someone who basically knows the Word of God, knows how they should live their life and fall away or walk away. And the second thing is criticism of his ministry from people who are involved in the ministry. And I thought about those two things, and I thought about our rancorous time, our angry time, where we may be pitted against the people that have been friends of ours because our political opinions differ or our social opinions differ or things like that. And the first part of his uh, Pastor MacArthur's answer, I think, is a call to action for those of us who want to be 
productive disciples of Christ is to basically live to what my dad used to say to me, maybe your parents used to say to you, maybe someone has said to you before, and that is, uh, don't do that. You know better. Don't do that. You know better. You know, in football, we always say, act like you've been there, right? These guys who get in the end zone and act like fools, I'm like, oh, come on, act like you've been there. I'm a Nick Chubb guy. I like flipping a ball to the official. Like, eh, no big deal. I scored a touchdown. I've been here plenty of times. I'm used to it. I expected it. Uh, some guys get in there and they do their wah, wah, wah. It's like, oh, you did that all by yourself, didn't you? Nobody blocked for you or anything else. So I like people who are humble. And I like people who act like they've been there. I like people who know better than that. So I'm, I'm kind of holding myself accountable on this and I'm challenging you. Let's be purposeful and not be lazy in our true, authentic devotion to living an impactful Christian life. What would happen if we picked a fight with evil in the name of Jesus with everything we did? Not just going to church on Sunday, but if we read something in the Bible every day and really devoted ourselves to it. TV's off, radio's off, kids are somewhere else. It's quiet time. It's you and God, you and the Lord, you and the Word. What would happen if we picked a fight with evil by policing what we're watching on the internet, what we're watching on TV, what jokes we're laughing at? What, what would happen? What could God do with us if we devoted ourselves to him? And then second of all, to Pastor MacArthur's point, we can worship with people who may share a different um, opinion of current events than we do. This one's a harder one for me because some things are non-negotiable and some things are negotiable. But I just think <clears throat> I'm going to go back and hearken back to something Chris said a lot. Chris said, you got to talk to people. We can't talk over people. My challenge every day on my radio show on 98.9 The Answer, it's on 5 to 7 if you care to listen, 98.9 FM, um, is to talk to people, not to talk down to people. I'd like to have more people engage with me on the radio show who – um, think differently than I do. Because here's the thing. I know what I believe and I know why I believe it, and I'm not afraid to articulate that to others. I think when you're um, certain of your why, you can do it pretty in a pretty measured way. The, uh, the uh, anger, the bitterness, the accusatory tone comes in when you're a little less certain and you can't argue your points, make your points, illustrate your points uh, in, a, in a dispassionate way. So my challenge from a faith perspective would be to live to a verse I've mentioned many times, which is, as much as it depends on you, live at peace with all men. And then the other verse that Chris and I shared a lot, 1 Corinthians 16, verses 13 and 14 which I find is a great template for everything I do, which is be on your guard, stand firm in the faith, be men of courage, be strong, do everything in love. So that's where I land here at um, 12.51 in the a.m. Um, tough night for the Buckeyes. Browns roll on. 
and I'm going to bed. <laughs> so I didn't do any ads tonight. I'm a failure at getting my ads in. HemisphereCoffeeRoasters.com. Order from Hemisphere, will you? This is another thing. My call to action, too, support good people. Say, well, yeah, you're sponsors. I don't deal with bad people because I, I represent people. I don't represent product. They happen to have a product, and it's a product I believe in, and it's not because I know anything about coffee or attorneys, in the case of Willis Spangler Starling, or because I have any individual expertise when it comes to health insurance brokerage and coverage like for disability insurance and stuff like that through auinfo.com. No, I represent people who have products, but their products are a way to serve others. In Hemisphere's case, they really help a lot of coffee growers around the world get ahead economically, which helps their impoverished local communities. In Willis Spangler Starling's case, they do a lot of stuff that really helps people who need legal representation. In AUI Info's case, they help you if you need health insurance or if you've been gamed by the health insurance system. There's a lot of ways to serve, you know. I hope I'm serving in this role. You can serve wherever you are. Colossians 3.23, whatever you do, do it as unto the Lord. You're not working for the man. You're working for God. I don't call him the man upstairs because I find that disrespectful, but some people do. All right, that's it. Now it's time for me to get some sleep. It's time for you to get some sleep. And it's time for us to purge our memories of 52 to 24. Wow. Bama's good. Congrats to him. Talk to you again soon.